Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And there it is. Click of a button. We're live. Coming at you. Very exciting. Couple days before Thanksgiving. Now, you may be listening to this after Thanksgiving, but you can relive Thanksgiving by just simply listening to this episode. So happy to be here and happy to introduce to you an amazing marketer, a leader in the marketing space who's hip on agile in the marketing world. We're going to talk a lot about that. She's in the Forbes Communications Council, but she's also got some really cool things to learn about her. You know, she's actually a, a Rubik's Cube solver and a spike ball champion. Uh, she's the VP of demand generation at Cypher Health. Alyssa Kleiman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, happy I know. Free Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's probably surreal to you because I know you were sharing that you were, you were listening to several of these episodes and now it's you. So weird. I can just, you know, see people like me listening later. Hopefully uh, folks will get just a small nugget of insight similar to how much I've gotten from some of your really amazing uh, uh, I guess, uh, experts as well. Yeah. Well, big shoes to fill, but I think you're going to smash them all away. And, uh, and this is our marketing leadership series. You are a leader. You have been in marketing for quite a while and you've got some nuggets to share. And so we want to start the show off the way we do every show. I'm going to pass you this thing. It's kind of heavy. So one second. Okay. Here it is. Thor's hammer. <laughs> Go ahead. Take this. Got it. Go ahead. Got it? Okay, cool. Got it. Got it. Uh, smash for me some kind of marketing myth or bogus strategy, misconceptions that just drive you crazy and you just want to set the record straight. And there's so many to choose from, but uh, my favorite myth to you know, take Thor's hammer and smash lately yes. has been that implementing agile is something that is really, really hard. It's actually something that with just a little bit of dedication, a little bit of practice, any marketing team can start following that process almost immediately. Wow. Okay. Now this is exciting because we've talked to people about agile before, but the idea of actually implementing it, getting it off the book onto paper. And this is, you know, didn't agile come from the, the realm of programmers and computer lifecycle and, and, and so I could see where a lot of marketers are like, I like tech, but not that much tech. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's one of those things where at first you hear that, you know, developers were the first ones to implement this type of process and you think, okay, uh, we're, we're very different people yeah. uh, we're behind the computer. We're in front of the computer. How do you, how do you have a process that works so well for people that work in development versus people that work in marketing? Uh, so it's, I think that just shows how great the process is. Um, but also surprisingly, some of the similarities between where software developers might struggle and where marketers might struggle too. Got it. So let, let's kind of build a case here because I know there's some law in your past or the, the <laughs> thought of it. Um, so what, what's the benefit before people are even like wanting to learn about implementing this into their marketing? Like what have you gained from doing it and why did you do it in the first place? Yeah. So I'll back up a little bit too, just to give a brief overview for those who don't know what Agile yeah, is, maybe you're somewhat familiar with it, but really it's a process designed to help you and your team operate in a very flexible, fluid manner. So really looking at what are the big goals that your team has to achieve and what are the steps that you're going to take to achieve them. So sometimes those are strategic, uh, you know, you're trying to increase revenue, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to get tactical to, to do that. So uh, an agile process and some of the similarities that you might be finding yourself into, which is the same uh, challenges that the software developers in the 90s found themselves in, is that if you're a marketer, you need to be able to adapt quickly. Uh, uh, similar to software development, you can't go off, develop something, and a year later, expect the world to be the exact same. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with marketing. You can't go off. Uh, develop a really amazing campaign with multiple channels reaching a specific audience. And if you go and do that in a silo for a year and come back out, the whole world has changed. Your yeah. buyer might have changed. Uh, so that's really the benefit of Agile is just trying to be able to be more adaptive 
over uh, quarterly or even monthly or even you know weekly basis. Right. And so, so I yeah. like that because you're building the fluidity into the process. It's kind of funny, like process. You normally think of like firm and not changing, but you're making your whole marketing ecosystem fluid, like changeable, dynamic, keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. Exactly. And I think if you look at it from a simplified perspective, so, uh, you know, had the great pleasure of working with your team a few years ago to implement uh, Pardot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a couple months long project where you're taking old assets from other systems and you're trying to create this new, better, uh, you know, marketing automation tool for your team uh, that, you know, has multiple stakeholders involved. When you look at that, you know, it's a large project, but in the great scheme of things, it's going to be, you know, point in time. And you need to break that down into simple bite-sized pieces. You know, your team was so great in helping you lead through, here's what we're going to do in uh, the first week and over the first month. But you have check-ins pretty regularly to see when might you need to change what you're doing? Uh, what, what might need to adapt? You know, um, biggest piece of advice that I really wish we had taken was building a better folder structure. Mm. So in hindsight, being able to go back and say, you know, how do you take that as a small piece and be more adaptable in that moment um, to lead to the better, to best result that's going to have longevity and scale. So with agile, imagine that type of process, but doing that, you know, across your whole team for the whole year for every project. Wow. Whole team that, you know, that's, and that's cool. I love that you brought it back to the part of implementation because I think a lot of people listening, um, have done that same kind of have gone through that same path. And so we can all relate to that. Okay. Yeah. We had, we had a big, like, Oh, part on implementation, but it was down to like almost like weekly, weekly sprints. Is that the word or weekly chunks yep. where we, they were manageable. Okay. This week we're going to attack the tactical setup items and some of the other things and a couple learnings. And then we'll get on the call next week to adjust and, and recap, but then go to the next criteria. So it kind of makes it more manageable and it doesn't seem as overwhelming. Exactly. Hmm. And, you know, when those weekly check-ins and so for my team, we work off of what we call exactly two week sprints. So every two weeks, we actually have our sprint planning meeting in a couple hours where we get together and we look at what, what will we commit to accomplishing in the next two weeks? And, um, you know, you have to take things into consideration. Like how many meetings do you have coming up? Is that going to eat up most of your time? You may have a sprint where you really can't commit and shouldn't commit to accomplishing a lot of tasks because you are in meetings, you are at a conference, or you're not feeling well, you feel that cold coming on. And being able to recognize that capacity is so helpful when you're collaborating with a team. We have a very small team. So how do you make the most of everyone's time is by helping to prioritize what is the most important, not only what feels the most urgent. That busy sales guy that's knocking on your door going, I really need, need this campaign to run immediately. And you think, okay, okay, fire drill, let's get this done. But, you know, you take a step back and you realize, well, maybe that wasn't the best approach because it didn't really help us achieve our goals for this half of the year or whatever right. it might have been. Right, or I really need this collateral. Exactly, all the time. Please drop everything and build this one thing. And everyone yep. else is like, that collateral? I don't think I would use that. <laughs> exactly. So you're prioritizing what's important, not what's urgent. I, I love that you said that because that makes sense. I think a lot of times we get into that urgency, especially if we don't have a, a process like Agile in place, we can just be kind of like blowing with the wind to the next high priority, you know, email from some leader in the company or, or your boss. You're just constantly blowing in the wind, getting this done and then this done and this done. But then sometimes it doesn't feel like you actually get anything done because you're too busy just flying around. Exactly. And I think what Agile, if you, if you implement it in a, in a methodical way, mm-hmm. what you really should be doing is first, you need to internalize the process with your own team because you want to get them in the habit of saying, thank you so much for that great collateral idea. I'm going to add it as a task to discuss at our next sprint planning meeting. I like that. So you're giving an action that you really will take. You put it in the backlog of, of tasks that you want to discuss. Um, and you can follow up on it after sprint planning with a real reason or next step for what you might do. And so it takes a little bit of that. What, Cause there are certain things that will come up that are actually urgent. You know, maybe you won an yeah. award you weren't expecting to, it's really big and you really should drop everything 
to come up with a press strategy to really maximize that coverage. Yeah. That's urgent. You should absolutely build that in. And that's what agile allows for you to do. Um, but at the same time, there's those things that feel urgent that, that sales rep saying, I really need that one overview, that piece of collateral that in reality, if you just take a step back and you have a better process, you can help to align more internally as to what you're doing, why you're doing it. That's cool. What happens if you can't get it done in that sprint? Is that the right word? Mm -hmm. You can't get it done in that two week period. Do you just, is there like a backlog list you throw it onto or? Exactly. Okay. You know, backlog, some folks might call it icebox or something. Where what do you call it? I, we call it the backlog. Okay, <laughs> you're the experts. So I'll just call it whatever you call it. <laughs> we use the technology and they have, that's the, method, the uh, terminology they use on the platform. Oh, good. What do you use to track that? Uh, we use the same software that our uh, development team uses. Really? Yeah. What's it, what's it called? It's called Jira. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We've heard of Jira before. So that's cool. So using Jira for marketing, not just for the standard because I remember doing graphic requests from our graphics team or from dev to, you know to get your web stuff built but that's a cool idea just put it in Jira and then you know, kind of move things up and down the priority that makes sense exactly you mentioned two weeks um have, did, was this suggested to you or I mean is one too short but three four is too long or the, what's the timing look like what, what makes two work out for you yeah. So two, I think is standard across most agile is it? Uh, okay. teams. You know, it's the same thing. Again, our development team uh, follows is two week sprints. Uh, you know, I think trying to get something done in a week can be really challenging. Yeah. Uh, things will pop up. It gets really hard to maintain exactly what you need to get done. So if you have two full weeks, it gives you a little bit more flexibility. And we actually, like I said, today is a Tuesday and that's when we choose to do our sprint planning because it gives you uh, a day and a half of the first week to really get some stuff done to finish that, to finish out your sprint. Ah, uh, okay. So if you end it on a Friday, that's, you know, all well and good, but uh, sometimes you just really, you can't get to it for whatever reason. So you like, and it sounds like this works too. You like the idea of doing the Tuesday as the beginning of the new sprint. Exactly. And then that way, if you need to, you can get some stuff done the weekend or Monday yeah. morning, bright and early. Exactly. Exactly. Close out those tasks. And I mean, is the priority then like whatever's in that sprint, like needs to get done in this next two week period? So uh, for us, we're a bit flexible. There are teams that definitely say it's either in the sprint or it's not in the sprint. And so if okay. you have it in your sprint, that's the only stuff that you should be really focused on. Oh, we're not, we don't operate that way. Uh, it doesn't work so well for our team. Um, but what we do try to encourage is if you add something into the sprint, something should be coming out. So if something really is so important to be added in, you need to pull something else out. Because there's only so much time in the day. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, as marketers, we want to be helpful. We want to, you know, overcommit and give everyone everything they want all the time. But that's just not a sustainable model. And uh, a lot of times you're doing things because someone asked you to, not because it's something that's really going to help you achieve your goals. Right. And so, yeah. And so I, I'm kind of learning as you're going, this is great. So it doesn't necessarily mean it gets done in two weeks. It just means like that, that's a priority for the next two weeks. Exactly. And really what it is, is breaking down the tasks so that it is manageable. So yeah. you may be developing a white paper. And I don't know about you, but for us, sometimes white papers can just, they take a little bit of time. You know, yeah. you have a lot of stakeholders to involve. You're doing research on it. And in a two-week sprint, maybe in the previous sprint, you finished the, uh, the research. But in this two weeks, all you have associated with that is drafting the outline. This sounds so really cool. This sounds like, it, it, what, what, where did this come from? Like how how did you get the notion to the put this? Cause it sounds like this makes marketing so much more organized. It's, it's a really great, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in the process. Yeah. You know, if you can really encourage your leadership to also buy in, you can really have a very powerful, meaningful conversation about what is marketing doing and accomplishing. And so for us, we actually were very fortunate. We've worked with an incredible consultant. His name is Mike DiPietro and he came in and helped us implement this agile process. What was great and where we had some advantages is that we had a process that was uh, already being used by the development team. So the technology was already there. Right. 
And so um, he came in and we did um, really half day on, you know, what is agile? How do you, how do you do it? He ran a, a sprint plan meeting with us. And from there, um, you know, our CMO at the time was very bought in on making this work out. And she really helped champion it to the rest of the executive team. And from there, it really was just a matter of our team educating others within the company for how we were working. Yeah. How to get the request to us in an understanding expectations of what's going to happen. Like we're not going to ignore your request, but it has to, there's a, there's a two week cycle here. And unless it's like hell and brimstones, we're not going to modify our plan. Every time you think you just throw it on the list, you know, throw it on the list and we'll, we'll do that sprint meeting. Uh, and I love that the CMO champion did as well. It was like, no, this is important. I'm, I'm glad she said that because this sounds fantastic. It's great. And, uh, you know, again, we're very lucky because we had so much leadership buy-in already. Um, but we've also, you know, we've been developing this process over the last year. And of course, pausing and taking feedback from the team. Has this helped you? Do you think you're actually prioritizing your work better? Yeah. Do you feel less overwhelmed on a day-to-day -day basis? And overwhelmingly, it's been so positive for me personally, but, you know, for my team members too, who work, you know, very, very hard, they're not only able to continue that strong work ethic, but they're working smarter. Right. So all in on, um, on a day-to-day, -day, on a week-to-week, -week, on a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis, we are able to be so much more productive as a team because we're aligned on what are our goals and how are we going to try to get there. That's fantastic. You know, as you're describing this, I'm, I'm, I'm like dying to be a fly on the wall in one of these sprint plan meetings. You have. Come so join. Just, can, can I? Yeah, I love Absolutely. you. I'll bring, I'll bring donuts. There we go. Um, yeah. Like designer we'll donuts. Spike ball after. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I need to learn spike ball. We'll have to get to, we'll get to that. Um, could you describe what it's like um, for a sprint plan meeting and like what, what do people hear? What do you expect? And what kind of roles do people play in that? Yeah. So for us, first and foremost, we, any sprint um, planning session is open. Um, we don't necessarily advertise it, but we've had other team members that either want to see what it's like, or they're just curious. And of course, you know, um, it is meant to be a transparent process. So it's great to say, uh, you know, if you have someone who's thinking, well, what does marketing do? Well, come to sprint plan. You'll see, you'll see exactly everything that we have. Right. So the way that we structure it, uh, it used to take us a full hour and a half. So it's okay. been it's been a learning process. It now takes us closer to 45 minutes um, to really get through everything. Um, so we'll start off by just going by team member by team member. You know, how have your last two weeks been? And really encouraging folks to share if maybe they overextended themselves or if there was a learning. So for example, um, if someone was attending a conference, but they didn't add that conference to their sprint, they might have said, you know, I really put way too much on my sprint uh, in the last two weeks. I should have added the conference. Oh, okay. You know, just being um, able to learn from your own capacity and right. what's been successful. No, that, that's a huge thing to be able to, to do that, um, to be able to, I mean, I guess there's humility in that, but there's also introspection. But you have to have the right, like, team, right? It, everyone has to be able to say, you know, I learned from this, hope you can all learn from this and not feel like they're going to get fired or something for having a learning. Exactly. And I think, you know, that, that comes to us as marketing leaders to encourage yeah. that behavior, um, you know, leading by example. Um, so so you've, you've probably thrown some of your own learnings out there to show people, hey, it's okay. Exactly. I've learned too. I want to hear your learnings. You know, show me that you're learning. That's what I think. I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather hear learnings than like nothing because at least we've learned something. You know, if you make a mistake, that's fine. Just as long as we've learned from it, then it's a positive. Exactly. And you had someone on the show recently who, who said something that was, uh, that really resonated and aligns really well with what I believe is the culture of the company, not just my own management philosophy, which is if you're not, if you're not failing, you're probably not experimenting enough. So you really want to encourage people to go outside of their comfort zone. And, That's a good uh, point. sprint planning is a great place to do that. Got it. So you start with learnings. Mm -hmm. And so, um, does, does anyone point, never have a learning? Is it ever like, no, we're all good. There's always some, some kind some of weeks went really is expected and that's totally yeah. fine. It's, uh, it's, it's in the beginning, everyone has a learning as you get more used to the process and your own capacity and you're more established in your own role. 
it becomes more predictable on the week to week basis. Right. Okay. Cool. And uh, I forgot to mention, so you asked about roles. Um, uh, when you have agile teams, you actually have someone called a scrum master. Okay. Um, it's one of my favorite words. I think it's very funny. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's like, what does it even mean? Rugby. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, rugby, right. Uh, maybe it's that, is that where it comes from? I think so. Actually. Um, huh. for those listening, please don't hold me accountable. If you know that it doesn't come from that, or that's please where do. my please mind let is us done. know. Yeah. Let us know if you know, if you know this, take it with a grain of salt. Um, but so the scrum master is really meant to help break down barriers. So okay. they, lead, they lead the processes um, around uh, daily, what are called stand-ups, and I'll talk about those in a bit, okay. um, as well as the, the sprint planning sessions. And really what the Scrum Master's job is, it can be someone who's the leader, but um, it, it doesn't have to be you know, your CMO or anyone else. It, it could just be someone who is really good at keeping their finger on the pulse and helping yeah. others um, address challenges. Okay. So an example of scrum master duty might be that in sprint planning, you notice that someone has had the same task on their um, sprint for the last couple sprints. And you'll look and you'll say, uh, an, an, an example might be that they are really struggling to get finalized conference attendees for an upcoming trade show. Hey, I noticed that was on your last sprint. You know what's going on here? Ask them to share why that's taken so long. And it, let's say they're just, they're really struggling to get, um, you know, Sam to respond. Mm. It's the scrum master's job to go and say, Hey, I got to get in touch with Sam and figure out what's going on here. Um, so really kind of breaking down those barriers, helping right. to, helping to, um, break through the scrum. Yeah. Okay. I like to see, this is a better way of managing too, because it, you could easily see how this could be. I mean, it's accountability saying, mm-hmm. Hey, he got this thing on there. It's a priority for several weeks. What's going on? Exactly. But if the answer is not, I'm being lazy. The answer is like, friggin' Dave won't send me the, the CSV file. Um, then the team, you know, escalated up the chain and we can help that person out. I like that. It's a cool way of getting stuff done. It's great. And it really helps um, t- the team as well, because maybe the scrum master isn't the one that's going to be able to go and talk to Sam, Right. but they can say, Oh, Mike, you sit right next to Sam. Can you maybe lean over and ask him what's going on when you see him later today? So that's, yeah. that's a way of helping the team as well. Okay. And so after you've kind of gone through, here's what those two weeks have looked like. Um, the next piece is uh, to look at what will the next two weeks look like. And so we'll look at, you know, how much of what we said we were going to complete did we actually complete? And, uh, you know, if it's 100%, that's great, but that's probably means that you didn't put enough on there. <laughs> so true. And if it's 50%, that's also not great because it means that you put too much on there. So you right. really want to find that balance. We shoot for somewhere between 75 and 85%. Okay. Um, and you know, and it's, it's also, again, it's about positive reinforcement. If you have a week where you were only at 50%, it's okay. You don't want to make anyone feel bad, but you want to understand what might be happening. Right. And, uh, you know, we've had some team members join since we started this process. And one team member was always feeling, you know, really horrible that they weren't able to get 100% done. We took a step back and we, we realized, oh, we, we didn't share this really easy tip. You're not supposed to book up 100% of your time. <laughs> right. You're not supposed to get to 100. Oh. You're not. It's, it's <laughs> like you have at least an hour of meetings every day that's an hour you can't commit to getting a task done and that's right. okay. Right. Just a simple little other like, Oh, okay. I feel better. It, it was, it was definitely comical, but uh, it, it, it shows you that sometimes you don't remember the learnings that you went through the first time you did something. Right. You really have to try and uncover those uh, tidbits along the way when someone else is going through that journey for the first time. Right. Or listen to this podcast over and over and over again. Exactly. Totally works. So you did the two, you looked at the previous weeks, the learnings from that, what you got done. Then you look at the next two weeks, how much is complete, how much carries over. And then you kind of figure out what the next two weeks is going to look like. Is that how it goes? Absolutely. And so what we do is um, we ask people to come prepared um, with what, what do you believe should already be in that next couple of weeks uh, or sprint and um, we'll go through uh, the the tasks all roll into what we call an epic 
So it's going to be a larger project. So for an example, one of your epics, maybe create a compelling white paper um, for the nursing persona. And so within that epic, you're going to have lots of tasks. Some tasks will fall into the upcoming sprint. Some may fall into a few sprints later. So you keep that backlog so you know what those tasks need to be. But you'll have gone through and we'll say, we'll open up that epic and say, all right, does this look good? Is anything missing from the upcoming sprint? Everything's like in there. Great. Move on to the next epic and do the same thing. And so you're looking at things from a team basis and then you go back to an individual basis. So uh-huh. you go from individual previous two weeks, team, what are we going to do? Individual, what are you going to do? Right. And within the next aspect, you're looking at, uh, at least the scrum master should be looking at, is someone biting off more than they can chew? Or do someone, and also does someone maybe have a little extra capacity that they should take on something new? Got it. Epic. I even just love the word. I mean, you've got Scrum Master, you got Epic. It's like we're creating a video game. Sprints. Sprints. I feel like an ultimate marathon runner. Yes. Or a triathlete. <laughs> um, cool. Okay, sprints. And then you mentioned, now is that all that makes up the, that, is that all? Is that, is that what makes up the, the planning meeting? For the most part, yeah. Okay. And then you mentioned the dailies. Mm-hmm. What are those like? So again, uh, it's really a matter of breaking down barriers so you can move through tasks. And yeah. so daily standups, um, you're supposed to actually stand up so it goes quicker. <laughs> oh, like mind blown. They I know, call it right? a stand up and you're supposed to stand up because that way you don't go on forever. Exactly. You want people to be just slightly uncomfortable. That's so true. If you're standing up, you're like that much more motivated to not be standing there. It's almost awkward too. You're like, okay, we're standing. Exactly. <laughs> let's, let's get this thing done. Let's stop being awkward standing around each other right now. Let's go. Or like go outside in New York in the winter time, like shivering. <laughs> like, okay, okay, guys, let's let's get this thing done. Let's go inside. It's uh, also that, even more uh, awkward on video chat when you're at belly button uh, position oh, with the camera. Yeah, yeah, your belly buttons are all talking to each other. You know, like, or you know, you're just looking up at the chin. Right, right. You really want to get that meeting over with. Oh, man. So does everyone stand up, even on webcam? No. No. We, we had a hard time enforcing that. Oh, okay, because I would be uh, like, I would love to enforce that and just make it <laughs> awkward. But you're right. It'd be kind of weird. Be like, Alyssa, please stand up. You know? <laughs> like, if, you, if you can do it, I definitely recommend it. It, uh, it didn't quite work for our team, but we're still able to keep the meeting fairly short. Got it. Okay. And you're supposed to talk about what have you accomplished since the last stand up? what will you accomplish to the next one? So it's much more uh, in the weeds for your day to day. And who, who joins that? Is it just the smaller teams or like, or is it for, everybody? For, for us, I mean, again, we have a very small marketing team. So it's yeah. really, you know, who we're interacting with on a day to day basis. And so how long does that take? 10 minutes, 15, you know, sometimes we'll just go off on a tangent, talk about something. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we book the half hour on the calendar Okay. So that we have the flexibility of time and who doesn't love getting 15 minutes back in their day. Totally. Um, it's also a great excuse where, you know, you have 15 minutes if you wanted to talk about a report or something, or you needed an extra five with one team member. Um, we have team members all over the country. So okay. it's a great way of keeping everyone connected, at least on a, on a daily basis. How many people on the team? Um, right now we're four full time and okay. um, we have, we have probably four, um, part-time or contractors that are very involved in our day-to-day operations. Got it. So, you know, eight plus people are joining that. Uh, the sprint plans are usually uh, just the full-time folks. Okay. What about the daily? Oh, I'm sorry. I meant the daily and the sprint plans. Oh, okay. And, and um, you're encouraged to talk about what that person might be doing. If you need someone's time, the person that manages the contractor's time, you can talk to and say, Hey, uh, we have a great designer that we work with and um, hey, really want to talk with Kristen today. Is that okay? Great. Perfect. So you can Got at it. least align on those tasks. That makes sense too. Cause if they're, if they're charged by the hour, it might, might cost a lot more to have some of the contractors joining all of these calls. Exactly. Uh, that makes sense. But okay. So yeah, you got four people, you're getting stuff done. 15 minutes. Sounds like they're prepared for that. Here's mm-hmm. what I did. Here's what I didn't do. You know, no drama. No, no, like, Oh, what did I do yesterday? Like you spent maybe 10 minutes prior to that, or maybe the day before you just, check stuff off so that you're ready to go when you get to that meeting. Exactly. I can see that making it a lot easier for you to manage as well and understand who's doing what. And, you know, rather than doing that, like sort of weekly manager meeting, you're just, you're on top of it. You know what tasks the team is doing, where they're struggling, what they're, 
And so that way, when the two weeks comes, you're not, not like surprised. You're totally hitting the nail on the head. That's awesome. No, I'm like buying this thing. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, You mentioned earlier that, you know, the word alignment and it got me wondering, does this, has this, have you seen any, any of this helping with your alignment to sales? You mentioned the open meeting on the planning side. Is sales kind of like clued in a little bit better into what you're doing or has this helped in any way? Well, you know, I'll take, I'll take that hammer back if you still have it. Yep. Here it is. And, and you know, just we'll keep, keep smashing some myths. Smash. Uh, you know, I, I really don't believe that there has to be a war between marketing and sales. Mm. And, you know, you always talk about marketing and sales alignment and um, pretty much any marketing conference you go to that's B2B um, will have multiple sessions on creating alignment with sales. And a lot of times I find them to be overly complex. Sure. And uh, really, I think it boils down to first and foremost, your leadership. Are they aligned around your key goals? And do you have shared goals? And if, if you have those pieces, which I know is not always the easiest to get to, but if sales goals are revenue, well, then how much is marketing helping attribute to or contribute to that revenue? You know, if sales goals are, you know, uh, around volume of calls or emails, well, how is marketing supporting that volume of calls and emails? Right. And uh, if you're a marketing team that is only ever focused on branding, but your sales team is focused on revenue, of course, there's going to be friction there. So that alignment should come from sharing those goals and how are you helping to achieve them? Uh, Share the goals, help to achieve them. I love that. Maybe I'm a a bit naive just because, um, you know, we do have a really great uh, sales organization and, and sales leadership that they're um, very uh, eager to work with you. And so what the agile process helps do is create that transparency in, well, what is marketing doing and how are they trying to help us achieve our goals? So every quarter we do, uh, we have what we call our epic planning meeting. And this has uh, become one of my favorite meetings because we're bringing together um, pretty much uh, the entire management and senior leadership of the company together. Wow. It's scary. You yeah. Know, you're really laying yourself out there going, well, here's what, what we're going to be doing. And of course, uh, what, we, what the epics that we're working on are going to be informed by meetings that we might have with different function leads um, or you know, what we're getting from the C-suite in terms of priorities. Right. And so we'll break it down to, all right, we know that the company's strategic priority is X then we have our own priority that ties to that strategic priority, which will be Y. So you already have two columns of of basically goals that creates a funnel. And then uh, the next column is, so what, what's the, what's the big program? What's the big Epic you're doing to reach that goal? So if your company's strategic priority is hit X revenue number, then your marketing priority might be, we need to increase conversions at the bottom of the funnel. Right. Great. Then the epic might be we're going to launch an account-based campaign for high-level uh, deals, and then you might have some examples of the tasks for what those would be. So you need to develop the creative, you know, chalk with the sales team, and then what we do is we have the whole marketing team present the different epics and talk about them, and they are very open to feedback. Whether it's in that meeting or someone wants to set time up later. This way, there's that level of transparency for what is marketing doing and why are we doing it? And what right. do we hope to achieve by doing those things? Right. I lo- love that you're tying into the company's priorities, which is likely tied into sales priorities. And then, then you're like, okay, that's X and here's why. Here's our, our piece of the pie here that we can, we can contribute to this whole mix. And then from there, epics come from your priorities and then the tasks as well. That's really cool. Yeah, is, is the com- company communicating their priority to you in marketing ahead of time? Like, do you, do you have, they just tell you like what the year looks like so that you know how to plan that quarter or how does that all work? Yeah, you know, I think it's a matter of, uh, and again, this comes to leadership alignment. Yeah. Um, does our CMO have a tie to what's going on in the C-suite? And, um, you know, it's, it's his or her job to be able to say, here's what's changed yeah. or here's what's remained the same and why. Right. Um, you know, uh, of course, the beginning of the year, you're going to have strategic priorities, but by the middle of the year, the world might've changed. So you yeah. go back and you say, well, has the world changed? And 
um, be able to, uh, to tie pieces back to that. And sometimes you might have the same priorities, but where they rank might change. So then we need to also adjust. Yeah. Yeah. Where does MQLs fit into all this? We were chatting oh, earlier yeah, about MQL. MQLs and that kind of stuff. So, do you use them in your company and what does sales do. think and all that? Uh, so for us, um, I don't believe the MQL is dead. Okay. But I do believe that the MQL is, should not be your biggest target. Your volume of MQLs is an indicator, but it really, if you only ever look at that number, you're not incentivizing necessarily the right activities. Totally agree. I love that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, it's been great to hear from other marketing teams for how they approach their goals and what's been successful for them because, um, you know, in full transparency, most of our year we spent focused on the number of MQLs, which is why I now believe that is not the right goal. Right. What happens when you do that? You know, you, you just, you, you make the sales lives, I think, just a little bit harder because you might be passing folks that really aren't quite the right target. They're not quite the right level of engaged. They don't have all of the information that's necessary. Um, so it's a learning process. And I think if you're going to be using MQLs as a metric, you really need a shared definition for mm. what is a marketing qualified lead. Right. Um, you know, and uh, if you're going to be measured upon that, having that shared definition is so critical because right. That way you, and you need to go back and analyze, well, are the MQLs that we are quote unquote passing over the fence, do they align with that definition? And if not, how are we adjusting maybe our automation rules or our assignment rules to better meet that definition? Right. And so by, by the very nature, I mean, you don't have much time to be able to fully qualify them. You know, it's like, it's sort of like a, we, we took a peek and they, all things indicate they might be a, a better fit than other ones. And that's why we're sending them over, hopefully. Um, so what kind of definition do you settle on? What, what definition is sales cool with it? Um, so <laughs> what if they're ever. cool with and what they'd really love. Yeah, um, that's And true. that's okay. And, uh, you know, for us, we're just always looking back at the data for, well, what's actually driving success and what's maybe not. Right. But for us, the definition comes to... Um, does the lead meet our um, ideal customer profile? So are they a part of an organization that we believe has a propensity to buy? Um, have they engaged at a certain threshold? So, you know, maybe that's a form fill, maybe that's visiting us at a conference, but we, uh, you know, have at the very least what that score threshold is. Yep. And then um, they need to be at a certain uh, title level or above. And, um, you know, where for us, it can get a little, a little dicey is if we, uh, you know, titles can get really weird, you know, do mm -hmm. we actually know where they sit within the organization? So that's for us, a struggle we have right now is defining, well, you know, with a specific title, how do we, with our best guess, decide whether or not they're ready to be pushed over, um, you know, thrown over the fence. Right. Thrown over the fence. Um, I could see that being that that's, that's a solid you know, thing to pass over. Hey, here are the things we know. We know they fit our ideal customer profile. What if you don't have enough data for that? Or how do you get that remaining data? Do you ask it all on a form? Do you use like a, a data app? Or how do you get all those other pieces to that puzzle? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we just, or we're in the process of implementing a data enrichment vendor. Okay. So that's one piece of the pie where, How's you know, it going? Is it going well? Uh, we, you know, we actually- Still in the middle. I have to say uh, my counterpart in marketing ops is so talented and uh, you know, just really does a great job of, of helping to keep these things moving. And his counterpart on sales ops is also someone who is so smart, so talented. What um, are their names? Uh, shout out. Yeah. Jason Uhas. Thank you. Don't, don't say I didn't do anything. He's our, uh, you know, uh, leader in sales ops and um, Eric Coons is my counterpart on marketing operations. And awesome. the two of them rock stars, both of these guys, such rock stars. If, if you are listening and you don't have great sales ops or great marketing ops, go out and, uh, and, and find them because they can really make your life so much easier and better. Um, don't take those guys. Yeah. But, don't but look those. at them. Their example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. Uh, I'm sure they would be happy to, to share some of their learnings as well. If you reached out. That's awesome. And, uh, 
So for them, they, they both come on board um, fairly recently and uh, have really done a great job of, of revolutionizing what we're able to do within Salesforce and within Pardot. And, um, you know, I think there's still a lot that we can do and improve upon, but having that foundation is really critical because yeah. even with a shared definition, if you don't have a way of measuring it and being analytical about it, it doesn't, it's not really going to be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. All the bad things come from not aligning on that simple, simple metric. Um, that's fantastic. You know, this is amazing. I've learned so much today, this morning. Um, my, my next question really is like, who are you? How did you become the wizard of wizard dress of agile and um, in the all knowing, all seeing marketing ops and amazing demand generation VP? Like, where did you come from? Take us way back. Like little yeah. Alyssa days. Little Alyssa. Uh, first of all, little Alyssa had no idea what demand generation was. That's okay. for sure. Um, I originally wanted to be a lawyer or something in foreign policy was really where um, I was headed. Yeah. And in thinking back, it's, it's a little bit funny because I've always been interested in marketing without really knowing it. Mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a little kid, I remember uh, watching a, a diaper commercial and thinking, oh, this commercial is so bad. I'm, I'm eight or nine. I don't know why I was thinking about a diaper commercial. Yeah. But I just remember then pitching to my grandma uh, a better diaper commercial. Hey. And uh, do you remember any of the specifics, or just like it was bad, and you're like, no, this will be way better. Yeah, I just remember thinking I was really funny um, with some diaper commercial about you know I, maybe it was that it was just still doing the comparison between Huggies and Loves and yeah you know it's it's so it's, it's the same thing of like Bounty versus Sparkle. You just it's it's not really telling you anything. Right. Um, and so, uh, that's, by the time I got, uh, to school, I found myself very attracted to marketing opportunities, yeah. not even the classes, but just things like being a campus rep for something or, um, you know, what I then learned was guerrilla marketing, which I yeah, think is yeah. a very funny term. Um, so found myself very attracted to that and, um, you know, eventually realized that not only did I not want to go to law school, but. Uh, and suffer through even more homework and tests and finals. Ick. Um, I thought, well, you know, business, that seems, that seems reasonable. And marketing was really where my, my heart came, came to, came to find itself. In, that was before school happened? So no, that was just, during, that was during. Oh, during. during so you were kind of doing some core classes freshman year and you're like, hmm, you're attracted to all the, did you, did you declare for like law or anything or? Uh, for political science. Yeah. Oh, you did. So you're like, this is me. And they're like, mm, actually, this is not me. Yeah. And pivot. But you know, and I think that's, yeah. um, that's how, how most people find themselves. If you, um, you know, if, if you say a plan out loud, it's a good way of making God laugh is a yeah. quote recently that I, that I heard that I really liked. And it's, uh, it's really true. You know, if you think you're going to go into something, just let life happen and you'll be very surprised where it takes you. Yeah. For sure. It, it kind of reminds me of, I was reading this book, Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. And it says like, the goal is cool, like state it. But then really it's the systems that are in place that will get you there, you know? And I think back to you, know, you and Agile and all these things and I'm like, yeah, like set some goals, but more importantly, have the systems in place to be able to execute. And then you can probably surpass the goals because you're, you've built that system around you. So that's really cool. And, uh, you know, for you, did you ever think that you were going to be um, you know, starting your own podcast and leading your own company and doing all the incredible things you're doing in marketing today. Yeah, you're right. They're kind of like little tests, right? Um, like the podcast, I remember it was two years ago and I was like, man, I really need to do thought leadership and content for the company. Like it needs content. And I thought I'm really good at writing, but I'm the kind of writer where if it's not perfect, then it's just like, ah, oh, like take the time to craft it. But then if you don't get it right, put it away and you maybe don't come back to it so i was like oh, i'm really having a challenge creating content so that's why i was like but i can talk and i can interview people that are smarter than i am uh and so that the podcast was just a test and i didn't realize that like two years later i'm like love it all in it's kind of my jam and still doing it doing it really well and still you know, doing it yeah attracting really great folks to listen and um you know for me it's it's so educational too just getting value from hearing from others i think learning from others experiences um, as a marketer, being open to that can really lead you down a really productive path 
um, if you just let it. Yeah. You just kind of be open to it to your point. Just see what happens, try it out, test. I mean, that's what marketing is though, right? It's just testing different things. And the faster you can test the newer things, the more you can stay on top of it. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I think back and, um, you know, before joining Cypher Health, I wanted to do business to consumer. Okay. I wanted to work at an advertising agency and I definitely didn't want to do anything in healthcare. I <laughs> around healthcare and I was like, this is just a mess. Right. And so lo and behold. Did you do I, any B2C? Uh, yeah, I, I actually, I had a really amazing internship opportunity of all things at Ogilvy and Mather. And oh, wow. It was an unbelievable experience. And I really lucked out because um, you, know, you get randomly assigned as an intern to different teams. Yep. Um, you know, some folks were really lucky. They did account management for NASCAR and um, others maybe less lucky. And for me, I think I was the luckiest of all because I got um, uh, placed in a, what was at that point, a two-person team focused only on mobile. Oh, wow. Um, and that since then, I believe that team has been kind of integrated more into the, the overarching digital team there. But um, I just learned so much about, you know, what it means to create a mobile for a strategy yeah. and was able to interact with so many different brands. It wasn't just one project. It was part consulting, part project. Um, and it was, you know, being on such a small team, it meant I had the opportunity to really, um, uh, get my hands dirty, so to speak. Right. And no doubt you got exposed to all these different test results. You were able to see one strategy, how that worked with one brand versus another versus another. And I've always liked that internal agency or that agency kind of experience because you get, it has its drawbacks, but you get exposed to all sorts of data points and all sorts of budgets that maybe you wouldn't have available as just a, you know, in a single organization. Yeah. And you know, it's, you know, this was, um, really long time ago. And uh, it's really fascinating to, to go back and think about those experiences and what at that point was forward thinking and innovative. Yeah. And what would still be considered innovative and forward thinking today versus what might be something that I wouldn't recommend as a strategy. Just knowing what I know about consumers and, um, you know, everyone's always about building an app, for example. Um, and that really isn't always the best method of being in touch with your audience. So true. No one wants to go and download something from the app store unless there's real value in keeping that on their device. So back then, you know, what, almost five years ago at that point, everyone was like, oh, build an app. You know, you yeah. sign up with an agency and she's like, we're going to build you an app. Right. You know, this was, you know, actually probably closer to um, 2010, 2011. Um, and, um, you know, apps were very, you know, people were all starting to be on the smartphones, yeah. um, on their iOS devices. I think, you know, um, Androids were starting to rise in popularity as well. So more and more people are having access to applications. And I think that's yeah. even still true today where people assume that an application is the best way forward. You know, especially in healthcare too. Everyone is always talking about the new health app or something like Jeez. that. And um, if you're really trying to reach consumers, an app may not be the best method for that. Um, you what know, do you think it is now? I think you really need multiple channels. You can't okay. rely on one method. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I think um, you know your team really supports that idea too. Of you need that push and pull, that inbound mm -hmm. and outbound. Um, you know, if what you can accomplish can happen, you know, via text message or via your website, that might be a better option than asking someone to download an application, create a profile and, you know, do X, Y, or Z is the benefit that they're realizing something that they will truly realize, right. you know, there might be a benefit that if they use it, you know, um, their, you know, healthcare providers get more data, but if they can't see that, and they don't feel that they're not going to enter their information frequently enough to actually get that value. Yeah. And there's so many apps on my phone that I don't even use. I might've downloaded it. So yeah, you got me to download it, but I may instant delete it or just let it linger and die on my phone. And that unused folder that eventually you go through and you go, Oh, right. That app. Bye. Bye. <laughs> or you get a new phone and it just, you don't know, bring it over. Um, and I could see a lot of companies, putting a lot of money into that when it's like, mm, maybe you, there's another place to go with that. Right. Another Absolutely. channel. 
you know, if you were to think back um, across your, all these different experiences in marketing, if you were to go in a time machine and you were to go back to the beginning of your marketing career, um, maybe you just got out of school, whatnot, what would you tell yourself? What would you advise yourself? Uh, I think I'd go back and I would just say, you know, stay open to opportunities. Uh, the opportunity is more than the name you're associating yourself with. That's great. But is that really going to offer you the right path to um, getting as much of a diverse experience as you can? You know, I think a lot of times, especially as you're just about to graduate school, you really want almost any job that someone will give you. Right. But really ask yourself, is this job putting me in a silo? Um, you know, if you're really interested in marketing and you, you know, you should really try to get as many types of marketing experiences as you can. Um, don't just get siloed into just social and writing tweets all day. Right. It's a really good point. There's different kinds of marketing and the kind you love is out there waiting for you, but you got to try them all out and experience. Maybe you're an AdWords genius. You don't even know it yet. And you've been just exactly. stuck in social land and it maybe it bothers you. And if it bothers you, it's probably not the right place for you to be in. Exactly. And, you know, there's some really amazing marketing programs. You know, I think Procter & Gamble um, has an amazing training program as you go in. And if you're fortunate to get that, that's fantastic because it gives you so much exposure that's to cool. different areas of marketing um, and allows you to just see what, what do you enjoy and then what are you good at? And maybe if you're really, really lucky, you'll find that, um, you know, piece of the Venn diagram where both of those things overlap. Yeah, that's the magic spot, right? Something you're passionate about and you're pretty darn good at it just kind of comes to you naturally i've heard it called the unique ability like that's where you need to spend most of your time i like the unique ability yeah i can't take credit for that it's dan sullivan he's a smart <laughs> he's a smart guy up in toronto but uh yeah it's your unique ability um you know one of the things they had us do this program called strategic coach there's like a four squares and on the bottom row is things that you hate and that you're bad at you write that you have to do in your job. You write those things. Hopefully that's not too many things. And then another side is things that um, you don't hate. You're they're like, okay to you. And, um, and you're pretty good at them. Uh, and so that's, that's the row you don't really want to hang out in. And in the top row, there's a, a square that's things that you're really good at and you enjoy doing. Those are like, yay, fun. But then the final square is unique ability. That's things you absolutely love doing you would do for free if you could and you're actually much better than a lot of people at and that's unique ability and the whole goal of the exercise of doing that is to figure out first of all what's in there and sometimes right. it's hard to figure out because you take it for granted like things that you're really good at you take for granted like oh you're really good at well no yeah i just i just do that no 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 you're really good at that like that and usually it's other people see that and they go oh yeah you're way better at that than all of us here um, but then that's the place to hang out and spend most of your day. And ideally, if you can get your job to be focused in that area, it's fantastic job, career, company, whatever it is. You're happy. You're more productive. You're helping others yeah. be more productive. Well, so you're, you're begging me to ask you basically, um, what was in the bucket uh -oh. that you absolutely hate? And then what's in your unique ability bucket? Yeah. Um, so the, the bucket that I hate, you know, some things I was thinking about in there, um, you going through email, like I, I like conversations. I like when I get the good emails, but just sort of sorting through all the junk um, and to do's and the, the tactical list and the calendar stuff. Um, what else is in there? Oh, money, like <laughs> numbers, budgeting, finance, uh, take a step planning finance uh, was in there. I'm just like, Oh, just oh. hate those things. Yeah. And then um, in the, in the top square is really around like, learning and performing so like learning and teaching was really what was in that one for me love learning deep diving into this like this conversation i mean i had heard about agile but somehow this conversation made it real for me like it i don't know if you could tell like my question is very practical like i'm literally trying to like huh we should do this here That's um, great and, and then also that. yeah and then also like just teaching whether it's a podcast or speaking at Dreamforce or just one-on-one, -on -one, you know, that type of thing. I just, I love learning things and then giving it back and, and presenting to people and then kind of infusing it with some energy and just, bam, it's energy, <laughs> you know, focusing it out there. So yeah, it took a lot of time. And one of the things they even recommend at that strategic coach class is you have this little like letter, you actually send people, email, 
nowadays, but you send people an email saying like, Hey, I'm doing this thing, strategic coach, or I heard it on a podcast. And what would you say is my unique ability? Unique ability is something I'm better than anyone else at. And I'm, I'm sending this to you because I think you know me better than a lot of other people. You got to send that to like a bunch of, of, of people, you know, and trust. And you start getting a lot of letters back that start indicating and pointing at that same type of square. That's really, really cool. That must be yeah. hard to open yourself up to that. You know, I, uh, I can imagine that you're almost nervous for what you might get back because you just don't even know what others might be perceiving you. Sure, sure. Um, well, the good news is you can choose who you send it to. <laughs> um, and, and so you don't send it to the jerks. Uh, but also what ends up happening is some people take the time to write a lot and some people like write a sentence, you know? And so um, either way, a lot of them all are indicating the same direction, but you really start to appreciate the people who like took the time and they wrote out a bunch of stuff and they said, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. And you're like, wow, that person really cares. I didn't even realize that. Right. Um, and it's kind of eye opening to have a bunch of people tell you that thing you took for granted completely is actually your unique ability. What do you, any ideas? what your might be in yours or is this like the start of an another epic for you? It's definitely going to have to be a start of another epic. Uh, you know, I really, I, I, I think if I was going to have to put something on the spot on a piece of paper right now, it'd be something around, um, you know, strategic planning and figuring out, you know, uh, you, you briefly brought up my Rubik's cube solving ability, but yeah. I, I really love solving the puzzle. Oh, you know, how can you figure out what, if you do, if you make one move or you put one puzzle piece in one area, how are you, how are you going to find the next one? Yeah. And then at the end, what's your puzzle going to look like? Um, is it going to come together? Are you going to be missing pieces? Um, I also do really bad metaphors, as you can see. Uh, All the metaphors are good. You know, uh, so that, I think I really love uncovering, well, who are the strategic players that need to be involved and how do I get them as excited about something as I am? Um, and I think that also boils down into what I love about marketing, which is, yeah. you know, how do you, how is what my team, what we're doing today impacting what might happen in the future? Um, and I'm really lucky to work at Cypher Health where ideally that future means that a patient's getting better care, better help, having That's a awesome. better experience. So um, it's really nice to find the things that you're good at, the things that you enjoy doing, and then the things that actually fall into that, that ideally are putting more good into the world than anything else. Yeah, it's great when that column can really help people. And I think you brought up a, a good point that reminds me, part of this exercise is then finding people because what you realize is there's actually people that, that square that has things that you hate. People, there are people that love that. Right. And so the idea is let them be in their ideal zone and then they enable you to be in your, you know, your unique ability. And everyone's in their unique ability and you're all having a great time because no right. one's like, oh, doing the thing I hate doing. I don't want to go to work, work sucks, right. you know? No, you're like, oh, I get to do just what I like doing. And if someone's like, oh, I don't want to present that. I'll have to talk to people. No, 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 no. Casey will do that. do that for you, you. Yeah, I'll do that. You just do your thing. And then that way everyone kind of is at their best. And it's not even work. Everyone's just going into school, you know, going into school or work just to have fun. Right, right, exactly. I think uh, if you can hit that, that's just, it, it makes going to work enjoyable. And you spend more yeah. time with the people you work with uh, some probably more often than people that you're friends with or, you know, you're related to. So it's it's, if you can make that as enjoyable as possible, that just makes everything in your life so much better. A hundred percent. Yeah. That that's the goal. And then everyone around you loves it too. And then you're helping enable them. And it's like, to your point, it has to, it has to start at the top, just like with agile, like the people at the top need to be in their unique ability. But then once they are, they can start telling people on their team what that's like and then helping them figure out where, where their unique ability is and, and kind of encourage them to do that. Absolutely. So you, know, you mentioned the Rubik's Cube. What's the story behind that? You, you learned how to do that. And I, I've, I've seen it. I've tried. Other than taking the stickers off, which is like heresy, <laughs> you know, as a kid. Uh, how, why did you learn that? Where? How? Yeah. And, you know, I have to caveat by saying I, I just know the steps to solve the Rubik's Cube yeah. and I can do those very fast, but wow. I'm by no means someone that would ever be in a Rubik's Cube completion competition. Those people, they, they just get it at a different how, level. How fast can you do it? Uh, under two minutes, which I really appreciate. Do you have one on your desk, right? Like, at, I, I don't or? have one on me right now, but I have like two in my desk at work. <laughs> of course you do. And That's uh, awesome. it's funny you bring up the work with the Rubik's Cube. So, um, I went to um, high school here in Houston, Texas, and 
um, we used to do these programs where after winter break, you'd have two weeks of learning, experiential learning. Um, some, you know, sometimes as, especially as a kid, you're like, well, this is great. And as an adult, you really go back and appreciate those yeah. more than anything else. And, you know, one week was doing things outdoors and camping and hiking and putting just yourself a little outside your comfort zone. Um, and, uh, the second week would be in the morning, you would be able to choose what classes you did. And in the afternoon, it would be community service. So oh, a really cool. nice, well-rounded couple weeks. Um, you know, if, if you're anyone connected to a high school, I couldn't encourage this activity more. Um, kids will love it. Your what was it called? Do you remember? We called it winterum. So oh. it was like interim courses. So winterum, wow. winter, clever. Um, <laughs> Marketing. Yeah, exactly. And this, and this is the Emory Wiener School in Houston, Texas. And okay. uh, I don't know if they do it anymore, actually, but I hope they do. And uh, so one of the classes was how to solve a Rubik's Cube. And I remember just thinking, who is not taking this class? Because this is, this is a life skill right here. <laughs> you could eat somewhere in the other part of the world, someone's going, who would take that class? And you're like, who wouldn't take this class? And you know what? More people fell into the class of who would take this class. <laughs> yeah. It was, you know, me and four other students. And uh, over, throughout the course of the week, we learned how to solve a Rubik's Cube. And I'll tell you, for the rest of high school, my, my uh, uh, classmates were jealous, for sure. Hell yeah, they were. You know, I'm bored in class, but I'm at least solving a puzzle every day. Um, but it really- <laughs> It's more than the rest of them could say. <laughs> exactly. It really came full circle because uh, my first day at Cypher Health, I walked in and there were Rubik's Cubes everywhere. It had been wow. their conference swag. And I thought, oh man, this is, this is the company for me. Everywhere, and like hundreds of them, just all, it was the swag. All over wow. the desks and everything. And we'd take them to conferences and- you know, back in the day, we we're really bootstrapping it. And TSA would, would, you know, look at everyone's bags, you know, very confused and say, uh, what's in there? No, it's Ruby's Cubes. You can look at them. You can Jeez. play with them. Jeez, that's awesome. Yeah, I think I shared earlier with you that, that TSA looks at, I've been learning to juggle. And they look at these like beanbag juggling balls. And they're like, what are those? I've definitely <laughs> had them pull me aside and search them. I'm like, yeah, I'm learning to juggle. And they're like, okay, weirdo. Keep going. Do, do you actually try to do it for them while you're there? Well, I can only do two right now. So that's <laughs> well, um, impressive. Yeah, they're like, oh, they, they would definitely send me to secondary if I tried to juggle, I think. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this sounds like a cover story. Let's inspect this further. Um, that's crazy. But, well, meant to be though, huh? Rubik's Cubes. And you mentioned earlier, what is it about it? You're solving a puzzle. It's kind of analytical at the same time it's creative. Or And how do you solve that? It is like... <laughs> It, it, how long did it take you to learn? You, you know, it's, it, I actually taught our chief nursing officer. I taught her at a conference once how to do it. And she learned in like two days. Um, oh, for me, it took, you know, the full five, but, uh, um, you know, it's, it's much, it's muscle memory more than anything. So for, uh, for folks like me who solve it based off of just knowing the patterns, um, the biggest key to know about a Rubik's cube is that the, uh, the middle piece on every cube, they don't, those are the things that never move. So you're always going to have white opposite of yellow and, you know, red opposite of um, orange and blue opposite of green, whatever the colors of the Rubik's cubes are, right. those center pieces never move. Right. And I know this is going to sound so weird, but the other big piece is that you have the center pieces, they don't move. You have the middle pieces. So you always know that if it's, let's say a white next to a red, that that white and red middle piece always has to go right where that piece is. Got it. Like you need to always get the middle figured out. Exactly. And, or, you know, you want, you know, the middle, so then you can figure out where each of those pieces go next. Oh, right, right. The colors don't change. So right. it seems it, when you're looking at a rescue and you don't know what you're looking at, it's a big giant jumble. And you almost think that any piece could go anywhere. Right. Like what color do I want to put on this one? I don't even know. Exactly. But you're saying, look at the middle. That's the color that's going to be on that side. Exactly. And, you know, for example, you'll never be able to have, if you have um, white opposite of yellow on the Rubik's Cube, there's never going to be a white yellow piece somewhere because right. they, don't, they don't touch each other. Right. It almost seems like delayed gratification too, though, because I know you got to do some moves that makes it kind of more messed up than it is, but then it, it somehow works out in the end. It's, you know, every Rubik's Cube, I think, can be solved in 19 moves. 
I cannot solve a Rubik's Cube in 19 moves, but there are people out there that can do that so quickly because they see exactly how the puzzle right. looks and how to, you know, how to get it to be perfect again. I've seen that in YouTube and someone said like four seconds. And I was like, ah, you're, you're full of like baloney. But then the, the kid like looked at each side, knew where every exactly color was, was, and then did the 19 or whatever. Just, 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 wow. Nuts. I was it's at a Salesforce World impressive. Tour and, and the, the guy at Coat Check did it and just blown away. Like it was, it was amazing. So it's yeah, one of the that, best things I can do when I'm behind the, the trade show booth is just sit there solving the Rubik's Cube. And I'll take that over a fidget spinner any day. Like get oh, something done, you know? Absolutely. Does it feel weird to mess it up after you've made it nice and other people feel weird about it. I'm like, great time to do the puzzle again. Time to do the puzzle again. Wow. Yeah, you know, two day on site though to get that up to speed. That's that sounds like a lot of work, but might be easier than juggling. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I think with juggling, it's legitimately something in your brain changes to be able to 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 move all the pieces at different times. Wow, mind blown! <laughs> you're, changing, you're you're literally blowing your own mind while you're trying to learn how to juggle. Seriously, I'm like connecting synapses that weren't connected before. <laughs> exactly. I should, I should, as soon as we're done here, I'm gonna have to get back to the juggling. Just get, get going. You should go get a brain scan now and then really get back into it. You're full of good ideas. That's, yeah, it's too late for me though. I'm midway through. Oh, fair. Yeah. But yeah, that would be very interesting. You see, it's good. It's good that we're not in psych, you know, (laughs) researchers at an institution. We'd be doing juggling grants. That sounds great. Doesn't it? <laughs> that, that feels like maybe my uh, unique ability somewhere in there. Yeah. And then somehow tying it back into marketing at some point to justify mm-hmm. yeah, the expense to the, to the company. <laughs> no, just a quick PhD in psychology. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little, little afternoon course, little Phoenix online, UNH, you know, it's all good. Um, this is fantastic. Where can people connect with you? If they're like, I need more of this. Yeah, um, absolutely. LinkedIn, Everyone. Twitter. What are the good ways to people reach out? LinkedIn is probably the best way to get in touch with me. Um, okay. Alyssa Kleiman working at Cypher Health and, uh, you know, always happy to share any learnings from Agile or Rubik's yeah. Cube solving, you know, whatever uh, tickles your fancy. Yeah. You, you need to start like a YouTube channel for those, yeah. for those videos. Uh, Rubik's for marketers. Rubik's <laughs> for marketers. And so- solving the puzzle of marketing. You just named you just named the podcast just now. You just totally just named it. That's fantastic. Uh, I love when that all kind of falls into place. Uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, hope you have a fabulous Thanksgiving full of a mountain of sides and turkey and all of the all of the fix-ins that you can imagine. That's it. That's it. And um, for everyone out there listening, if you learn something, and I know you did. Why? Because I literally have two pages of notes over here with like no room to spare. If you learn something, then share this episode with someone else. Be a thought leader to at least one other person and uh, make their day and help their career shoot into the stratosphere. And check out Agile and see how you can get that involved in your marketing. Um, And Alyssa, thank you again so much for being on here. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Have fun out there eating that turkey. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll catch you all next time.